The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the, books of the, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, and we what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content in your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. And he locked up John, in prison. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the seminary, we had a class on pastoral counseling. How to talk to people, how to help them work through difficult situations in their life. Of course, one class is not going to make you a counseling expert. 
but they had to try to teach us something. So, as part of our class, we would do what are called role plays. One of us would pretend to be a distressed parishioner dealing with some sort of a problem, and one would play the role of their pastor. Now, I took a few counseling classes in college, and in one of those classes, we did lots of role plays. So I felt like I had a pretty good handle on what a role play would look like. You try to be a convincing parishioner uh, with a convincing problem. But you also give your partner a little bit of grace. You try to help them build their skills. Instead, uh, you, help, you try to help them build their skills instead of being a very, very difficult person. You start them off easy, and when they have more skills, you, then you can give them harder problems, and you become less interactive. Well, you maybe can guess where this is going, but uh, my partner for my first role, our first role play did not exactly get the go easy memo. In fact, I, I'm not sure that he listened to what our professor said at all when he gave us a list of three possible options uh, for, for a problem. No, my partner, well, he decided that he was going to be a homeless person who, had, who was suffering from some sort of mental illness and had wandered into the church and just started talking to me. Well, talking is also probably not the best description. Uh, a little bit, I would say that raving is probably a better description. He went on a tirade, talking about the government, about the FBI, about God talking to him, etc. And while my partner was not a very good listener or a very good partner, he was an excellent, raving homeless person. <laughs> I mean, he just rambled with varying levels of emotion for about five minutes before he finally stopped and looked at me. And I looked back at him, a mixture of confusion, anger, and amazement. And I just blanked. I had absolutely no idea what to say to him. I had no idea to respond. I didn't know what to do with him. And so, too, a little bit in our text today, I wonder what we are to do with John. What role does John's raving play in the story of God's people? What do his words mean for us today? Do they mean anything for us today? What do we do with a man living in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey? What do we do with a man who does not preach very gospel-filled, loving sermons? What do we do with a man who doesn't seem very interested in forgiving people of their sins? What do we do with an outcast, a pariah, a reject. 
Well, if you look at what's going on around John, you can start to understand why his message is so stark. Most of the children of Israel had fallen away from Yahweh, their Lord, the God of their fathers. And not only had they fallen away, but their religious leaders, the Pharisees, had become militant in their application of the law, ceremony, and traditions. Love for their neighbor had eroded into an attitude of what they thought was self-preservation. The mentality of, I must do this to protect myself, had become their focus. And like the prophets of old, John seems to be the lone voice calling out to Israel. This is the situation into which John has been called. And it's no mere coincidence. In Luke chapter 1, an angel of the Lord appears to John's father and tells him that his wife shall conceive and that their son will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. John's, John preaches repentance. He prescribes a baptism of repentance. And now I'm sure that you know that repentance is more than just saying you're sorry or apologizing, but it is instead turning away from sin and turning back toward our God and toward our neighbor. So now we can see a little bit of the reason for John's bleakness. We see the reason for John's dark message. God has sent him to turn people away from their sins and their selfishness and back to God. Back toward the only one who can forgive them. Back to the one who sent his son to redeem them. The son who was at the time of John preparing himself for his public ministry preparing himself to heal the sick and the lame, and to eventually die on the cross. John was a, was a messenger of repentance to the children of Israel. Do his words have anything to do for, with us today in America? Certainly. Certainly his words have meaning for us today, even on this side of the resurrection even on this side of Christ's birth and his sacrifice on the cross. So too we must turn our hearts away from sin and repent. John was preparing the people for Christ's coming. And we too must prepare ourselves for Christ's coming. Because he is coming back. And when he does, he will bring with him judgment. The winnowing fork will be in his hand, and the chaff will be thrown into the fire. Advent is a season of repentance, a season of expectation. We prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. When confronted with the command to repent, the people in the wilderness who had sought out John asked him one question. 
What then shall we do? They understood repentance. They knew that in order to repent, you have to turn. You have to do something. Now, not in order to receive forgiveness, for forgiveness is a gift which Christ freely gives. John tells them all to be honest, to do what is fair. Don't lie, don't take advantage, don't steal. Put the needs of someone else before your own. Essentially, he tells them to live their vocation in service to their neighbor. But more than just serving their neighbor, more than just serving your neighbor in your work, John is after something much bigger. He wants the people and us to serve our neighbors with our lives, with everything that God has blessed you with. And each one of us is blessed beyond comparison. We are a wealthy people. We have jobs that pay us well. We have more than two tunics. We have suits. We have dresses. We have pants. We have more clothes than we could ever need. We are blessed with great wealth. But simply giving someone your leftover clothes is not what John is talking about. John is talking about sacrificial giving. Consider your life. Consider the gifts that God has given you. Consider your priorities. Do you give as a mere fulfillment of the law? The Jews that John spoke to did such things merely as a fulfillment of the law. Or do you give freely? Do you give even sacrificially? Do you give in a way which perhaps makes you sometimes feel uncomfortable? For those of you that are good at math, if you have two tunics and you give away one, you have not given 10% of your tunics, you have given 50% of your tunics. Sacrificial giving is not an easy thing to do. It's something that we all go back and forth on. But it is an amazing chance to exercise your faith. Very few people here at church know how much you give, but you do. And you know how much you make each week and how much you give each week. And you know how much you could give each week. This Advent, as we prepare for Christ's coming, we can repent together. We can turn away from the selfishness, the fear, the apathy, or whatever else is holding us back, and we can give without fear. We have an opportunity to turn toward Christ as we reflect on his birth, on his incarnation, and as we prepare our hearts 
for his return. Let us take John as he is and follow the voice crying in the wilderness. Let us prepare our hearts and our minds for the return of Christ because he will come. And when he does, he shall raise all people from the dead. Some who have followed him, who have trusted in him to eternal life. And some who have not, who have not trusted him, who have not followed him into eternal death. Let us be found to have been those who have placed our whole hope, our whole trust in Jesus. Those who have turned away from sin and turned instead to the innumerable mercies that God offers to us each and every day. Let us turn back to his Son. In the name of Jesus, amen.